0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, come on. You can do that. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. You know, uh, as we sing sometimes, there's just songs as we sing, there's a part of my spirit that just wants to scream out and go, yes. Like we talk about Jesus changing everything. Do you really believe that this morning? Say amen. Yes. I hope you believe that. You know, I was thinking about when we sang that song in the first hour, I was thinking about Moses and how Moses... Went to meet with God on the mountain, and yet his glory was so magnificent that, that Moses didn't even catch all the glory of God. But when he came off the mountain, everybody knew that Moses had been with God, right? And my prayer is that as we go through today and as you leave this place, wherever you have lunch, whoever you're around this afternoon, that people would know that you. Have been with the Lord this morning, all right? So today we're going to finish our series called Seven. We've been looking at the seven churches in Asia Minor. We've been looking at uh, the different churches that are in the Book of Revelation, and one thing that kind of been the thread throughout the whole thing has been this: as we look at the seven churches, we obviously are able to see where Jesus kind of he says, "Here's where I he done some things well, but here's why I'm concerned about you." And our goal has been: can we see ourselves in these churches? So when these churches struggle with different things, can we look at our life and go, you know what, I struggle with that too. Just like these churches wrestle with this, I too wrestle with that. And so the case is, if you, and so the scenario is, if you do wrestle with those things, the remedy for you is the same remedy that Jesus gave those churches. Now last week we looked at the sixth church, the Church of Philadelphia. And what we found out last week is this is what we labeled the healthy church, right? This was a church that was healthy. This was a church that was in a highly populated area, a lot of things going on. But this church, Jesus had no words of concern for them, only words of commendation. Only words saying, listen, you guys are nailing it. You guys are making a difference. Now, the reason I want to go back to that is because of this. If we want to be a healthy church, which we all do, right? If we want to be a healthy church and we want to be healthy followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we let the things that the church of Philadelphia did be some of the same things that we implement into our own lives. And then today we're going to look at the last church, the church of Laodicea. Now, when you think about the church of Laodicea, I just want to start by saying this. This is a church that Jesus had the harshest words ever for them. The words that Jesus gives to this church are words that as you, if you read them in context, and remember, when these letters were written to these churches, they would have taken these letters and they would have read them to the church. I mean, they would have had a gathering, something maybe similar to this, and someone would have stood up and go, okay, we, John has written a letter on behalf of Almighty God, and Jesus has spoken to the church. They're like, "Whoa!" we can't wait to hear it. And then Jesus speaks to the church, and the church of Laodicea received an, a serious gut punch. I mean, Jesus goes for the jugular on this church here. But the reason I think this church is so important is because I think out of all seven churches, this is the church that most of us will struggle like they struggle. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And I know you just sit down, but you've got to work some turkey off. So if you stand up with me in honor of reading God's word, it says this in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now pause there. I could spend a whole sermon just on that one verse. But really what he's saying is the one who's writing this is the one who has authority over all things. And then he says this I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Wish that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me my, on my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, as we've done with every other church, I want to take a moment and talk about the city of Laodicea, because the city of Laodicea has a great, gives us great context to what's going on in the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was actually found in the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor, and it was surrounded by what was called a triad of cities. Now, as you remember, as we've talked about these different churches, some of them were like 30 miles, 60 miles, 100 miles apart. I mean, there's a lot of distance in Asia Minor, but there was a triad of cities that were in close proximity. You had Laodicea, And then uh, six miles away was Aeropolis. Areopolis was the city six miles away. And then you had Colossae, which was 10 miles away. Now, Colossae, we know that church. That's a church that Paul addresses when he writes the book of Colossians. He's writing to the church of Colossae. And so this is a triad of cities that are all right there together. Now, what was unique to Laodicea is they only had two major roadways that came into the city. But they were crucial because one went north and south. And guess which one the other one went? Not a trick question. East and west, right. So the interesting thing about Asia Minor is wherever you were trafficking in Asia Minor, if you wanted to go as far north or as far south as you could or east and west, you eventually were going to go through the city of Laodicea. It was a crucial city. Like like Philadelphia was crucial, Laodicea was crucial as well. Now, interestingly enough, Laodicea was known for three main things. There's three things that set them apart, the city, from every other city. One was their wealth. They were an extremely wealthy city community. In fact, some historians call them a banking community because people would flock there and they would all have to go there and they would go and they would do business and there was money there and it was great, great wealth. Now, and because of the great wealth, guess what they did? They built theaters, they built stadiums, and they built areas to do shopping sound like a metropolitan doesn't it right and so that was that was what made them unique and so from the outside looking in you would look at the city of Laodicea and go you know they got all these things going they they have this great wealth there they also had manufacturing there secondly they had manufacturing they manufactured wool which in that day and time would have been considered the fashion place of of the of Asia Minor I know you don't think wool is fashionable but back then it was and so people would come to Laodicea to buy their clothing made out of wool and the third thing they were known for, which I find extremely interesting, they were known for eye ointment. <laughs> they were known for their, their salve that you would put on your eyes because apparently people would flood to Laodicea. They had some eye issues and they would put the salve on their eyes and it would help them see more clearly. So if you were to look at the church of Laodicea or the city of Laodicea, you would see that this is a city much like a, a metropolis. I mean, they got everything going for them. They've got great wealth there. There's theaters. There's an AMC. There's a Regal. I mean, they got all this stuff going on there. they got all these fashion. I mean, they got, you know, Saks Fifth Avenues there. I mean, they got all this stuff going on there. And, and they have all this eye ointment. I don't know what to compare that to. But they have this eye ointment. So if you've got issues, you can put it on and you can see better. This city was happening city. People flooded there. But there was one problem the city had, and it was their water supply. There was no springs in the city of Laodicea. There was no water there that they could use that was usable in any way. So guess what they had to do? They had to pipe it in from their two neighbors. So they have to pipe in uh, water from uh, Aeropolis, and they would have to pipe in water from Colossae. That's interesting. If you looked at where Aeropolis is on the map, they had water that was extremely hot water. Water, like if you think of a spa or you think of a hot tub, that kind of water. I mean, it was soothing, and it was hot, hot water. And then you had uh, Colosse, which was known for their ice-cold springs in Colosse. Now, what they would have to do, because they had no water there in Laodicea, they would have to pipe it in from those two places. So hot water from Aeropolis, and they would have to get cold water from um, Col- Colossae. And by the time it got to Laodicea, guess what? The water was lukewarm. And you say, well, does that make sense? Because when you take hot water and you mix it with cold water, it makes lukewarm water, right? That's true, but that's not why the water was lukewarm. Think about it this way. They were piping in hot water six miles away. So when that water that was piping hot by the time it got six miles to lay out of sea, guess what? It's no longer hot anymore, is it? Or when they piped water in from Colise, which was 10 miles away, that was ice cold water, and they piped it in. By the time it got to Laodicea, guess what? It's not cold anymore anymore. Both water, the hot water and the cold water, by the time it showed up, was lukewarm. Are you with me on that? It's lukewarm water. Now here's why that's important to note. Because the condition of the city was the reflection of the condition of the church. Lukewarm. Now, I know none of our band members are in this service because we kick them out in the second service because it's a little bit more full, but all the band members that sing would disagree with me and they're all wrong. They would simply say, and you can tell them I said that I said in the first service too, and they were sitting right there. So it was all okay. All right. So the thing about the, the band that I disagree with is they would tell me, hey Doug, lukewarm water is the best for your voice. It's the best to sing and you know all that kind of stuff. And I would just say I think they're wrong. Because I mean, how many of us go home craving to get that water out of, the, out of the, the, the plastic that's not been cold, it's not hot, and we just crave lukewarm water? Anybody crave lukewarm water? Okay, there's a few odd people in the room. Okay. All right, there's a few of you on, okay, but most of us, we don't crave lukewarm water. Why? Because if you think about it, hot water, what does hot water do? Hot water, when you get it, if you have a sore throat, it soothes, right? You put maybe a little tea in it, or for me, hot chocolate, and you know, it just soothes, right? And then cold water, if you're outside working and laboring, and the Florida heat, and you go inside, there's nothing better than a cold glass of water, right? And so one is soothing, and one is refreshing, but by the time the water showed up in Laodicea, they were neither. In fact, they were undesirable. They, because why? Because on one hand, they don't satisfy the refreshing side of it, and they don't satisfy the soothing side of it, so it's just lukewarm water. It's kind of like, I compare it to this, it's kind of like eating fish out of a pond with no stream in it. You ever ate fish out of a pond that sits in stagnant water? There's one way to conclude that. Gross. I mean, it is absolutely gross. And so I feel like lukewarm water fits. I don't want to offend the three of you to raise your hand. But I feel like that's where the, it fits in this idea of being gross. Lukewarm is undesirable and it doesn't satisfy. Now, that's exactly the spiritual condition we're going to find the church in. So if you have your Bibles, there's a few things I want us to point out. First of all, I want you to notice with me Jesus' diagnosis of the church. Jesus' diagnosis of the church. Look with me in verse 15. It says this, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So here's what Jesus' diagnoses. You notice here, did Jesus at any point say to this church, first of all, let me commend you for what you've done well? Did Jesus start there with this church? Come on, did he start there? No. Listen, this is the only church of seven that Jesus doesn't start with a commendation. He doesn't start with, you know what, you're doing this really well. Yeah, you're struggling here, but you're doing this really well. No, no, no. Jesus goes for the jugular right out of the gate. He says, listen, here's the deal. I know your works. Now, he said it to every church. He said, I know your works. I know the kind of fruit you're producing. And here's the fruit you're producing. You ready? You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one of them. Now, when you think of hot or cold, now, in context of water, we know cold is that refreshing sense, and hot is that soothing sense. We'll take it out of the context of water, what is Jesus talking about when he says cold and hot? Well, cold represents those who've never accepted the gospel, those who've rejected the gospel of Christ, those who've never had their lives changed by the good news of Jesus. They're not hypocritical, they just don't care. They won't have nothing to do with the things of God. That's the cold. Now, the word hot here is the word zestos in the Greek, and it means fervent. It means those that are spiritually alive, those that are impassioned by their faith, those that are passionately living for the Lord. He said, listen, you're not for me and you're not against me. I wish you'd pick a side. I wish you would either be hot and passionate and fervently be living for me and have, be passionate and, and, you know, be spiritually alive and make a difference for me, or you would not even be my child, that you wouldn't even belong to me. I wish you would pick a side because you're neither hot nor you're cold, you're lukewarm. And I wish you would pick one. Now, here's where I think we've really got to understand this is this. Everybody in this room, for the most part, maybe not everybody, but most people would say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's my question. Would your coworker say that is true? Would your family say that is true? Would your friend circle say that is true? People that know you. Would they say, you know what, yeah, yeah, I mean, they, 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 may, they may make mistakes, they, they have flaws, they're sinful, all that stuff, but at the end of the day, their actions, their words, their behavior reflects someone who's truly a follower of Jesus. What would people say about you? Aren't they the greatest testimony to how you're living? See, all of us, if we were to have our own conversation and look in the mirror, we'd go, "I'm pretty good. I got this thing figured out. But what would the people around us say? He says, listen to this church, you're neither hot nor cold, you're neither one. And Jesus says, I wish you would pick one. I wish you would either be for me or against me. I don't want you to be lukewarm. Because here's what lukewarm is, you ready? Lukewarm is when we say that we follow Christ, but our lives look like the world. That's lukewarm. Many of us, listen, now, listen, listen. Everybody in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me, everybody who says, I belong to him, we've all either had a season or in a season or will be in a season, well, we were struggle with being lukewarm. As something's going to happen in our life, and we're following Christ, but there's going to be a season where we start reflecting more of the world than we do Christ. It shouldn't happen, but it does happen. You can look back, I'm 47, I can look back over the season of my life, and I can pinpoint seasons where I wasn't as passionate and as hot for the Lord as I should have been. I was lukewarm. Now, why would Jesus tell this church either be hot or cold? I wish you'd pick one, but don't be lukewarm. It's because of this. Lukewarm people do more harm for the kingdom of God than they do good for the kingdom of God, right? If you're saying you follow Christ, but your life looks like the world, why would any of your friends who don't know Christ want what you have? Why would any of your family members want what you have? When you say, I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but that means I need to give my money. That means I need to be in a small group. That means I need to do life with people. That means I need to serve. I mean, why would I want that when you say you're Christian, but your life looks like my life? Why would I want that tag to my life? I mean, the, f- the fact of the matter is, Jesus says, I want you not to be lukewarm, either be hot or cold. Why? Because when you're lukewarm, you're being ineffective. And just like lukewarm water is undesirable, So is lukewarm living. If you're with me on that, say amen. Lukewarm living is undesirable to the Lord. And there's many of us in the room today, if we were really to look in that mirror spiritually and be honest, we would say that we've defaulted to lukewarm. We're not as hot and on fire and spiritually alive as we once were. And we've just drifted. We've just drifted. And now we're just kind of lukewarm. And listen, and we're loving it. We know we're going to heaven when we die. And yet we have the opportunity to look just like the world. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to notice. You know, Jesus gives a diagnosis of the church. The second thing I want you to see is Jesus disgust with the church. Look at me in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and either hot nor cold, I will what? What's it say? Come on, let's read it together. I will spit you out of my mouth. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Right? I mean, he's looking at this church who's living lukewarm, and said, "Basically, I'm going to spit you out." Now, the Greek word for spit means to vomit, to hurl, to blow chunks, regurgitate, whatever word you want to put there. It means to upchuck you in my life. It means and I'm going to spit you. I'm going to vomit you out. Now, I don't know about you, but I I I don't get sick like that a lot. And I'm not trying to be gross, but I am going to go there for a moment. All right? I don't get sick like that a lot with like the flu and the all the vomiting, and all that stuff. But here's what I do know: the seasons in my life where I've been sick like that. The next day, my toes even hurt, right? I mean, everything in me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head, everything aches on my body when I'm doing that. And really what Jesus is saying to this church is, because some people look at this, okay, to spit you out of my mouth means that those people have lost their salvation. That's not what it means at all. He's painting this picture that what you're doing and how you're living is disgusting to me. And you need to know the depth of the disgust that you're creating in my mouth. You think you can live lukewarm, you're going to heaven when you die, but you can look like the world. But I want you to, yes, you can continue to live like that, but you are being disgusting and I'm going to vomit you out. You are a disgust to me. I mean, how many of us want that on our tombstone? That I was a follower of Jesus, but in the, in the mouth of God, I was disgusting. How many of us want that on our tombstone? Nobody. I mean, have you ever eaten anything that was disgusting to you? Anybody ever eaten anything like that? For me, it's coconut. I mean, it's coconut, and I, it's coconut is so bad for me. And I'm just going to share this. When Sonya were early in our married life, uh, she played. She was a, you know, she is a sweet, sweet, godly, loving woman. But she's that woman too. I mean, she can be that, you know, that kind, that kind of, you know, that uh, what's enery? That's the word I'm looking for. Ornery, that's the best way to put it. And many pranks, I mean, snakes and coconut are my two worst things, and there's pranks that she's done with me. But one of them was, we were staying in a friend's house, and we were babysitting their kids, and she knows that if I, if I eat coconut, it makes me just want to kind of spit it out of my mouth. It makes me want to vomit it up. And so I'm in the shower, and I'm showering, and I put the shampoo. That's back when I had hair. And so I put shampoo in my hair, and the shampoo smelled like coconut. And I'm dry-heaving in the shower. I'm like, ugh, ah. Uh! And I'm like, I can't believe you did that. And she's like, I didn't do it on purpose. Lie. She did it on purpose. And so, I mean, but the thing is, there was just this moment that I realized how disgusting coconut is to me. And he says to the church, I want you to know, listen, lukewarm living is disgusting to me. And as a church, you need to know that, he says. And then Jesus not only gives, Jesus disgust for the church, then Jesus gives, Jesus a description of lukewarm living. Look at me, verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, listen, here's what, you say that you're rich, and you don't need anybody. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, that is the heartbeat and the root of lukewarm living. lukewarm living at the very core says this: that I've got life together, I've got a nice savings account, my wife and I both have great incomes, we can pay all our bills, we can go on family vacations, I have a nice 401K, I've got great kids, my, all my kids are healthy, all my kids love school, all my kids graduated college. My, I mean, the list goes on and on. And when I look at my life, here's what I see. everything is working the way that I want it to work. I'm good. I don't need anybody else. and consequently, I don't need the Lord right? See, the very heartbeat of lukewarm living is just simply saying this, saying that I'm good, I've got everything together, and I don't need God in my life. That's the heartbeat of that. That's the heartbeat of what he's saying here. He says, you, you say that you're rich, he says that you're rich and that you don't need anything. That's the heartbeat of it. Several years ago, a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle, who I love reading his books, he wrote uh, Dangerous Prayers that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, um, he wrote a book called Christian Atheist. And I love the book. If you haven't read it, you need to pick it up. Here's basically what he says, because when you think of Christian atheism, you think of the, those being antithesis words, right? Like you've got Christian and you've got atheist over here. He says he believes in the world there are Christian atheists, meaning this, they are those people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ that are going to heaven when they die, but they live like God doesn't exist. And I thought, whew, have I ever lived like that? I know I'm going to heaven. I give my life to Christ. But sometimes I operate as though he doesn't exist and I don't really need him. And I think that's exactly who Jesus is addressing in this church. And so again, there's this description here. Now he says, because you feel that way, he says, what you don't realize is this. And I love it. He said, what you don't realize is you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. All words of endearment, right? Didn't you wake up this morning, your kids, and you, you went to your, your, your spouse to go, hey, honey, get up. I love you. You are wretched, and you're pitiful, and you're dumber than a stump." I mean, is that how you woke up your spouse today? No, nobody did that, or you wouldn't be here today because you'd have a black eye, right? Nobody did that. So the words that Jesus offers this church are not words of endearment, are they? They're words to shame them. They're words of rebuke. He says, listen, you think you have everything together. You think you've got it all figured out, but you are wretched. That word means that you're callous, that you need God. You are wretched. You have built up this callous around your heart that you truly need God. You think you have everything together, but the reality is you are pitiful. That word pitiable means you are miserable because your lack of leaning on God. He says, you think you've got everything going on and you've got everything together, but he says, but you are poor. That word poor means destitute, means you are nothing because you don't need God in your mind. He says, you listen, you think you have it all together, but you're blind. You can't see your life for what it really is. And he says, you think you have everything together. Listen, not only you're blind, but you are naked. What's been exposed in your life is your lack of dependence on the Lord. So Jesus is calling this church out. He says, listen, you think you've got it all going your way, but the reality is this, is that you are callous in your need for God. You are miserable because you don't think you need God. You are poor because you're trying to do life without God. You are blind and you don't see all this, and you're naked and you've exposed that you don't trust God and you're not leaning on God. Listen, this is where lukewarm living leads us all. You can say, hey, Doug, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I've fallen into this phase of lukewarm living. Well, let me tell you where it leads you. It leads you to a place where Jesus wants to remind us that that kind of living is not acceptable. That kind of living is disgusting to him. And that kind of living leads us to a place where our hearts become callous, we become miserable spiritually, and we're blind and we're naked. Now, how many of us want that for our life? Nobody, right? Now, if we were to stop the letter here, if we were to pause it right here, is Jesus justified in everything he's told this church? Come on, is Jesus justified in everything he's told this church? Yeah, listen, here's a church that Jesus has planted in the heart of Laodicea, that Jesus has said, listen, you are a beacon of light in a dark world. You are to be my church, my representation in a lost world, and you, quite frankly, are blowing it. At this point, Jesus could have said, you disgust me to the point I'm done with you. I am done with you, and I'll rise up another group of believers, and I'll plant another church in Laodicea, and I will do what I want done through them. And I'm done with you. I, I can't handle anymore. You are so disgusting to me, and you're so wretched and poor and blind and naked that I have no use for you anymore. Jesus would have had a right to say that, but did he say that? No. That leads me to the third thing I want you to know, the next thing I want you to know, is the fourth thing, and that's Jesus' heart for his church. Look at me in verse 18 and 19. He says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and what? Be zealous and repent. Now listen, here's Jesus' heart for his church. You ready? He said, I want you to come home. I want you to come back. He said, I counsel you to buy from me. He talks about buying from him uh, gold that would bring riches. He talks about buying from him salve that would, that would take care of their eyes. He talks about, you know, buying different things from him like garments so they can be clothed with what they need to be clothed with. It's interesting. He grabs the three things the city was known for and used them in a spiritual context. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you will come back to me, you think you're rich, but spiritually you are poor. And if you will come home to me, I'll make you spiritually rich. If you will come back to me, you think you're righteous, you think you're doing the right stuff, but the way you're living right now is disgusting to me, and I will put a a robe of righteousness on you and put you in step in living a way that's honor and pleasing to me, because the way you're living right now is not pleasing at all. And if you will come back to me, I will help you see things clearly, but I need you to come back to me. Now, why in the world would Jesus extend this grace to them? Because if, listen, if you or I were in Jesus' standpoint, shoes, wouldn't we just say, I'm done with you and I'm just going to start over? Come on, wouldn't you feel that way? I know you do feel that way because how many of you started projects at home and it went so horribly wrong, you finally ditched it and threw it in the trash and you start all over again, right? And we probably would treat people the same way. They are, they are so far gone, there's no bringing them back. It's best to start over. But Jesus didn't do that. His heart for his church was this. I want you to come home. I want you to come back to me. And if you come back to me, I will make you spiritually rich. If you come back to me, I will open your eyes so you can see what you need to see. I want you to come back. Now, why would he offer this? Because of what he said. He says, those I love, I reprove and discipline. Why did Jesus extend this additional grace to them? Why? Because he loved them. Are you with me on that? Say amen. He loved them. Now, I'm telling you, this is good news. Here's why it's good news, because all of us have been like this church of Laodicea. All of us have rebelled like this church of Laodicea at times in our life, and all of us have probably been in a place where Jesus had every right to look at us going, I'm done with you, Doug. I've given you chance after chance after chance, and you've broken my heart one time, two times, three, 10 times, 100 times. You've continued to rebel against me, just like the nation of Israel, by the way, and I'm gonna be done with you, but he doesn't. He's never done with us. We're never beyond his grace and his love. He's like, I want you to come home. Why? Because I love you. And as a reflection of my love for you, I'm gonna correct you, and I'm gonna discipline you. He says, so be zealous and repent. In other words, if we want to come home, here's where it begins. It begins with repentance. If we want to go back and experience the love and the blessing, the provision and the protection of God, it begins with us that are living lukewarm lives to repent. To change our mindset and our heart that would lead to a change in direction and a future. To repent. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the story of the prodigal son. You know the story where the, the son asked for half his inheritance and, and his inheritance and he left. And there's a point in the story which, that's key that we, sometimes we gloss over, but it says this in the story. And when he had come to his senses, so this kid had traded a palace for a pig pen, he traded the food off a king's table for craving the pods the pigs were eating. And then. He came to his senses. There was a moment of repentance in his heart where he said, okay, I don't want to live this way anymore. And he turns around and what does he do? What does he do? What does the young boy do? He goes home. He goes home. And the loving father see him from a distance and have him chastised? No. The loving father sends his servants out and go, I want you to beat him and then bring him in? No. What does the loving father do? He runs out and meets him as the son is coming, and he embraces him, and he throws a party for him. Why? Because a loving father always wants the rebellious, prodigal children to come home. And that's the story of this church too. So Jesus' heart for the church is for them to come back. Why? Because he loves them. But where does that begin? It begins with repentance on our part. And then the last thing I want you to notice is Jesus promised to the church. I love this. Look at me in verse 20 through twenty-two, or 20 through 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, what is Jesus here? There's saying here, there's three promises that Jesus offered them. Here's the first promise: it's his presence. What does he say? Behold, I stand where? at the door, and I'm knocking. In other words, hey, church, you kind of kicked me to the curb, but I'm not leaving. You kind of you kind of walked away from me, church. You found other things more important than me, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm still knocking. I'm not leaving. I'm right here. A couple years ago, David and I were sitting in, in, in one of our rooms in our bedroom and Sonia was taking a nap on Sunday because that's kind of... Listen, if you ever want to know what my, what my family does on Sundays, we just take... We sleep. We love sleeping. I don't know about you, but I, I love taking a good nap and watching football and watching golf makes me go to sleep even that much faster and so that's kind of the rhythm. Sonia was in our bedroom. She was sleeping and Dave and I were doing something, probably playing a game or something and the door... Somebody was knocking at the door and there was like knock, 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 knock. Ring, 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 ring. Knock, 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 knock. Ring, 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 ring. Knock, 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 knock. Ring, 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 ring. And like five minutes, this person kept knocking at the door. And when there was nobody coming, they would ring the doorbell three times. Knock, knock, knock. Ring, ring, ring. Knock, knock, knock. And it kept going on on and on and on and on and on. And it never stopped. And about 10 minutes later, I finally go to the door, frustrated, ready to strangle the person. And I open the door. And they go, hey, did I wake you up? And I'm like, wake me up. I'm about to knock you out, right? But there was this point where I had to go get the door. Why? Because they weren't leaving. And that's the promise that Jesus gives of his presence. You can kick me to the curb. You can ostracize me. You can walk away. But guess what? I'm still knocking. I'm not leaving you, church. He promises presence. He also promises restoration. Did you see what he said there? And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, what am I going to do? What do you say I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with him and he with me. In other words, if you that have run away, if you will hear the knock of God and you allow him back in, he will restore you and restore that relationship with you. And then he has a third promise. That third promise is this, is that you can have true success if you overcome. He says, those that are conquerors, those who conquer, uh, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. In other words, those of you that repent, And come home, I will give you success like this world can't even show you. But you got to come home. So when you look at this church here, the question that comes to my mind is this. Have we become like this church? Have we become lukewarm? Has there been a moment in our life that we bought into this idea that I can be a follower of Christ, but I can look like the world? And it's okay. See, some of us are lukewarm, and we're loving it, right? We're loving it. Has there been that moment in our lives where we're like, okay, you know, I have everything together. Everything's going good in my life. I don't really need anyone else. And if you find yourself this morning in that, in that spot of being lukewarm, let me just say a couple of things to you encouragingly. First of all, this, you need to know that when you find yourself as a lukewarm Christian, you're being ineffective in the kingdom of God. You're making no difference for the kingdom. No difference. Second of all, if you're living a lukewarm life, it is disgusting to the Lord. I can't say it any other way than that. It is just disgusting to him. And third thing, if you're living a lukewarm life, you've deceived yourself. You think you can live it and be okay, and Jesus tells this church, you're not okay. And so the command that Jesus has for us is the same command he had for this church. You know what it is? Repent repent because i want to do something in your life have a change of mind a change of heart that leads to a change of direction and a change of your your future why because i want to do something in you i love you i care for you even if you rebelled and walked away and lukewarm this morning he still wants us to come home you know as i began to prepare this message i was i I like reading stories about revival that's breaking out all across the world i don't know if you like those kind of things but but i find encouragement in times when I don't feel so encouraged right now, you know? And so I I love reading these stories. And so I've been reading stories about revival breaking out in China and Russia and different places. And there's something that dawned on me as I'm reading these stories that I never thought of before, and it was this. All this revival breaking out is happening in non-free societies. You think about that. This revival that's breaking out in the world is happening in societies that aren't free like we are. And then I ask this question: why is that the case? Why is it the case that, that revivals work out everywhere but in free societies? And I think it's because in free societies we don't feel the threat to our faith. And when we don't feel threat to our faith, guess what? We become complacent, we become careless, we become apathetic, and ultimately we become, what? lukewarm. And so here's my prayer for all of us today: that we would decide that we want to be hot for the Lord, that we want to be on fire for him, that we want to live passionately for the Lord. But the beginning place is repentance. And if you're here this morning and you're that person that's cold, you're that person that's never trusted Christ, you're that person that has denied him, say, you know what, I don't need that Jesus thing. Listen, if you want to be hot for the Lord and you want to have an eternity with him, it begins with repentance. It begins with you simply saying this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sins and I surrender my life to you and maybe somebody needs to make that decision. But for those of us that are believers in the room, for those of us that know we belong to Christ, if we found ourselves in that lukewarm way, in that lukewarm position in our lives, what's our response this morning? It should be repentance. Saying, Lord, I don't want to be ineffective. I don't want to be disgusting in your mouth. I want to make a difference for the kingdom. So if you're a believer and you're a follower of Christ today, would you respond as the Lord would lead you? Maybe you need to repent this morning and say, Lord, this is the path I've gone on. I've chosen lukewarm, but today I choose to be hot for you. Now you say, Doug, well, why does it matter what I just dis- decide today? Well, listen to me. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your social circles, and your friends, listen, they will be impacted by the decision you do or don't make today. So will we respond as the Lord might be leading us? Maybe in a moment you just want to come pray. Get alone from people around you and just come and get on these steps and we're going to call an altar and say, Lord, I've been wrestling with lukewarm. I've been wrestling with sliding back to just being complacent in my faith, but today I'm committing to be hot for you. I want to be spiritually alive again. Now listen, if someone comes and prays here, don't anybody else look down and be like, well, you know what? That's a lukewarm person. Listen, we all wrestle with lukewarm, don't we? It's a daily decision. Every day I get up going, you know what, Lord, I want to live hot and on fire for you. Because If I don't pray that prayer, guess what? I will drift into lukewarm and become ineffective and disgusting in the mouth of God. So will we be faithful to respond as the Lord leads? Let's all stand together as we pray. Let's everybody stand together. Lord, I love you and I thank you for today. And I thank you for this passage of Scripture. And I thank you for this church, Laodicea. And I thank you for them because as I read this church, it's almost like I'm reading the biography of Peter where I feel like I can resonate so much with them. I feel like I resonate with this church, a church that was supposed to be a beacon of light but found themselves making really no impact. Well, Lord, I also love this church because you did not give up on this church. You had every reason to be done with them, every reason to write them off and to do something different. But instead, you extended your grace Instead, you reminded them how much you love them and your desire for them is for them to come home and to come back and to be on fire and, and, and to, to be hot for you. So God, I pray for those in the room that are cold, those that don't know you, that today they would repent, they would turn from their sin and surrender their life to Christ by just simply saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and ask you to forgive me for my sin. And I believe that Jesus died on that cross. And I surrender my life to him as Lord and Savior. God, would they just pray that prayer? And Lord, I pray for those of us that are believers. We don't want to call ourselves lukewarm. But if we were honest, we all wrestle with it. So today, Lord, I pray that we would simply make this decision that in this moment, whether we come pray on this at the stage, whether we sit down in our seats and pray, or whether we respond through singing today, that we are committing to be hot for you today, that we are committing to be alive for you today, that we are committing to live passionately on fire for you, that we are committing, Lord, to be spiritually alive. And God, would you just remind us that our decision today or the lack of decision today Will impact those closest to us. So may we respond and be faithful to respond, Lord. May you do a work in us, as we sang earlier. May you do only what you can. So, God, would you convict us today? Would you challenge us today? And will we experience change in this moment. God, just be with us. Move among us. Wreck us if necessary. We don't want to be lukewarm and loving it. We want to be hot and passionate for you. So God, speak to us in this moment. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen.